listening to The Locus Thoughts and Music Podcast. My name is Shasha and I'm the singer-songwriter behind the stage name Philoka. I'm also behind this podcast series. Uh, I try to release one every month or two and each podcast episode will contain a mashup of my thoughts at the time and some music. I look forward to sharing my podcast journey with you. Hey, thank you for joining me. This is podcast number three and I am uh, looking to continue this podcast uh, episodes. Um, I'm having a great time putting together each episode and the contents of it. So that's something great to look forward to in 2018. Uh, So what have you been up to um, since the beginning of the year? I can't quite believe it's February already. Um, I've been busy with a program called NICE. It's a government uh, initiative. I've also been reading, um, trying to do some reading, well actually trying to finish a book I started about a year ago (laughs) and uh, since I'm not um, always reading it's quite difficult to finish a book but this book has been really interesting. It's called Wait by Frank Partnoy. Um, The link I will provide in this podcast information uh, in the description section. It's basically a book about uh, procrastination and why we procrastinate and why it's actually not a bad thing and it's something that uh, is uh, human to all of us. Um, There's a section that addresses uh, a topic that I had um, covered in my podcast number two actually about charging for uh, uh, hourly rate um, and package rates and how and why the hourly rate system uh, was actually not working for me. So podcast number two, I talked about why I decided to um, move to a package pricing or a project pricing uh, system instead. So this excerpt... um, from the book Wait is actually quite relevant to that section. So I'm just going to read a page and um, yeah, see. So I did have plans to read the uh, section of the novel, but uh, due to copyright laws, I've decided to pull that excerpt back and to just give a brief summary of what basically the uh, section talked about. Um, Basically, Frank had... Um, found some researchers who were doing a two and a half year study on a bunch of people and how um, hourly rates or package pricing were affecting them both inside and outside of work and he found that through the research that um, people who were charging hourly rates were finding themselves to be highly stressed that um, when they were having work that they would try to work as much as possible so often I guess the mentality behind hourly rate is that while you have it you should do as much as you possibly can Um, And in return, you ended up uh, sacrificing time away from work. So, you know, life enjoyment and general um, doing non-work related activities reduced significantly for people who were charging by the hour. 
but most certainly uh, the book is highly recommended. Um, I have had different thoughts about procrastination um, after reading the book. Um, the whole idea is that procrastination is a very human behavior and I guess you could think about procrastination as quite necessary when it comes to um, prioritizing yourself and all the things that you need to do and also some other research and he looks at Frank looks at different aspects of life like sports uh, shares when you're looking at um, relationships a lot of the times his argument is it's better to wait um, to make a decision than make a hasty decision and then you know make a mistake from making something uh, making a haste hasty decision in an area that you may not be an expert in um, the book is available on Amazon but you can get it in most uh, online bookstores um, it's pretty current I think it was written only a few years ago so it's a very interesting read and if you can get your hands on it and you've got a f uh, spare time then I would definitely recommend the book So, what did you think about that? Isn't it interesting that, um, as Frank has mentioned in his book uh, time and time again um, in other chapters, that the way we think about money really determines what we do with our time. And, you know, when I reflect on this, I just think that time is so valuable. It, I don't even know how we can put a, put a price on time. And I'm not sure if this is because we live in a capitalist society where um, when you look at companies and the way they operate, most of the time they're just looking at the profit statement and how to make that profit figure bigger year after year. And I just feel like the meaning of that is lost. And my experiences from working in the professional industry for over 13 years um, goes on to exemplify again that type of behavior and it was so easy to get caught up in that mentality of like trying to gain bonuses working overtime uh saving up money just so i can spend it on a mortgage that i'll be trapped in for you know 30 or 40 years i mean it wasn't for me and just thinking about time differently and how important it is that we don't waste time uh, leads me on to my next uh, topic um, or the segment, uh, which is the self-sabotage and the annoying brain voice, as I have called it. Um, you're very welcome to skip ahead to the music section. Um, I've got the timeline in the information for the podcast if you don't want to listen to this. But um, yeah, this next episode... Uh, this next segment um, I've named self-sabotage because I've been doing that for uh, almost a lifetime and my annoying brain voice which is a little voice inside my head that tells me oh you probably can't do that or you shouldn't do that and I'm not even sure where that voice came from or when it started but when I look back I think it's always been there and it's followed me around for a while. So firstly, I guess, what is self-sabotage uh, self and your brain voice? And I've done a bit of reading 
uh, into the science behind it. And what's really interesting is that um, they believe it's something that uh, comes through when you're in an environment that's clearly not particularly healthy and it may be um, taught to you by a parent or a, uh, a, a superior, so someone in authority. And it could have happened when you were a baby or a toddler uh, or when you were uh, quite young. But it could have also been um, in your adolescence as well. So it's quite hard to pinpoint at which particular time it starts. And it ultimately, um, from my own experience of it, it comes from a low sense of self-esteem. So if you grew up in an environment where you weren't taught how to value your person and you weren't taught how to critically think and analyze and basically um, survive in a uh, survival is kind of a very primal uh, word, I suppose. Uh, if you existed in an environment where you were supported um, and your true person was uh, supported and recognized, then it's very likely that you were mirroring someone else's behavior. And often it could be a parent, a teacher, um, friends, other people in your community that might have influenced um, these uh, detrimental or self-deprecating thoughts. Um, I think I got started with self-sabotage when I was very little. And I think it was a mixture of um, being in a very unhealthy environment growing up when I was very little, but also migrating countries. So moving uh, when I was about 10, I moved to Australia. And having to leave everything you know behind meant that I probably didn't really understand what was happening. Um, and the only way for me to make an understanding of what was happening around me. So when I say, for example, I came to Australia and I started year four and I didn't speak any English. So I had to read physical body language. Um, and if I did things wrong, then obviously, you know, there's that communication barrier. And eventually when I learned to speak English, I was able to communicate a bit better. But in the time frame that I had to communicate when I didn't know how to speak English, um, a lot of the times for me to have justified the outcomes of how people uh, treated me or behaved when they were around me, I took on the blame onto myself. So instead of not knowing what happens because, you know, the human curiosity, uh, the sense of curiosity that we have, we always want to know what's happening and why. And we want to always trying to find a reason behind what's going on. Um, and apparently in children, a sense uh, of, uh, of an ability to cope, so a mechanism of coping is to actually put the blame on themselves. So if they ended up saying something like, oh, well, they got angry at me because I did this, this and this wrong, 
then that kind of justifies their behavior. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's it was the right thing to do, but it's just a uh, a coping mechanism at the time. And when I look back on my childhood and how I grew up, I used the coping mechanism a lot and it was really subconsciously done. And I obviously don't remember every detail of my childhood, but I do, um, when I look back on the way that I thought about things, there was definitely a sense of self-sabotage there where I just questioned my own abilities and whether I could do things or not. I mean, clearly, when I look at it from a musical perspective, I've been extremely musical and I'd be able to pick music up so quickly and take on really difficult instruments, such as the French horn, and learn to play it. And I've had teachers who have mentioned that I was really gifted, but because of the self-sabotage, I never really believed what they were saying was true or whether my skill set was true. So that was a uh, sabotaging moment. And going forward in my adult life, I can see when it uh, came to exams, I mean, I'm, I'm never good at exams. It just makes me too nervous and I can't focus anyway. I don't think they're an effective way of uh, assessing a student's skill sets. But with exams, um, I think I would already give up even before the exam has started. <laughs> so my thinking would be, I don't think I'm going to pass this anyway. So why try, right? So I wouldn't put that much effort into preparation or studying. And in my adult life, um, I began working when I was 17. Uh, I'm pretty sure I could have gotten uh, a lot of different jobs if I had really thought about what I wanted. But because of the self-sabotage again, I just opted to get the first job that um, was basically given to me. So whoever was willing to accept me into their company, then I'll take it. And in a way, that's fine for a 17-year-old because just getting out there and interacting with other people and doing customer service, you know, I could really learn a lot of skills that are very useful in all aspects of my life. Um, when I look back, the customer service skills I've learnt has really taught me a valuable lesson about how to deal with all different kinds of people from all walks of life. And that's not something you can get from reading from textbooks. So, you know, there's an advantage to that. But the self-sabotage for me has been the delay in my pursuit of music and the uh, inability to still believe that I have the right skill sets to be able to continue to um, uh, be a working musician. So I guess it's key to understand where it might be coming from because recognition is the first step to managing and treating everything, I guess. So for me, um, I learnt how to recognise when my self-sabotage uh, dialogue is happening in my head because it's so subconscious and it happens um, in like a snap of a second. 
the moment that it happens, I am not aware of it. And it takes me minutes or even um, tens of minutes to realize that the way that I'm talking to myself is actually quite negative. It wasn't until maybe six or seven years ago when uh, I went to see a psychologist for a different, completely different issue um, at the time in my life. I actually uh, went through five different psychologists just to find the right psychologist uh, that would work with me. Um, and it's such an interesting process because you would think that when you go see a doctor or when you go see a psychologist or a specialist that they will do the right thing but often and especially in the case where I've experienced going through so many psychologists that there are some professional uh, specialists out there who simply have such a narrow view of events that they give you diagnosis or they say things that are just completely wrong. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to realize that this person may not actually be the right person for you to continue to see. So there's a difficulty in that and I'm not sure how the industry can get around to this issue. Um, it's like the saying that if you're a hammer, then you see everything as a nail. So some psychologists, uh, they specialize in particular, uh, I guess, issues and others don't. And that's okay. And I guess it's more about like being open and communicating with your clients to begin with. But going back to the psychologist thing. Um, so mindfulness was a, um, it was a technique taught to me. But soon I discovered mindfulness is actually a type of attitude or a, um, a way you look at situations. So the key concept of mindfulness is being aware of your thoughts. So the way they describe it is think of your thoughts as like clouds passing through the sky and you don't actually have to um, acknowledge every single thought cloud that passes by you can let them you can observe and not take on the emotional aspect of taking on that thought and then just let the thought pass you by and you can choose which thoughts that you want to continue to elaborate on and you can imagine that when you have a self-sabotaging mindset and you're not aware of it then it's very easy for you to slip into any thought that comes along and you will acknowledge it and give it the time of day. But it doesn't necessarily serve you. And for my for the longest time in my history, it was the self-sabotage that kept me working in the finance industry. And I didn't like it at all. But because of self-sabotage, I felt like it was the best that I was going to get. So clearly, it's uh, detrimental to... Um, how I really wanted to live my life and how I really wanted to spend my time. And to be, you know, to be really open about self-sabotage, I don't think it's something that I'm ever going to get rid of. This is a habit that um, occurs for me on a, a subconscious level, almost on an, or at a unconscious level too, like when I dream. Um... 
but at the same time knowing that I have this tendency <clears throat> or rather my subconsciousness has a tendency to bring up the self-sabotaging thoughts the awareness factor comes in and I try to catch the thought before it goes any further so a way for me to have control over what happens um, I learned that through mindfulness meditation and also giving myself a lot of patience I used to uh, when I was younger as well, I used to punish myself for having bad thoughts. And it was like a, a, a winding, a spiraling downwards, a negative loop of me punishing myself for thinking badly and then feeling bad for being punished. And so the self-sabotage continued because it was a very familiar feeling. Um, once I learnt meditation, I learnt a very important awareness, which is how harshly I judge myself. Um, and I think it's that harsh judgment that encourages the self-sabotage. I still have very harsh judgments of myself and the work that I do. For example, a lot of the music that I have been writing and working on, I don't think any of it is nearly good enough. And yet I've submitted it to producers for their opinions and for, um, you know, their two cents on what they think can be improved. And they've all said that, you know, there are good tracks and um, there are a few things that I can do to, to uh, make it better. Um, and that's quite helpful for me just to align myself, I guess, in seeing that actually uh, the music that I'm trying to write is decent there is work to be done, but the fact that if I'm going to believe that my music's not going to be good enough, then honestly, how long am I going to continue to pursue music, right? And if I do want to continue pursuing music, then I need to change the way I think about it. So aside from um, learning to meditate, to be aware of my thoughts and being patient with myself and judging less, or rather addressing the judgments and saying that's not quite useful for my um, end goal. Um, I'm also adjusting my own attitude towards myself and towards the uh, output that I'm making. So there's so many different levels there that I'm playing with at any given time. Um, but because it's been six, five, six years of me being aware of this. It's actually become a habit now. So um, intuitively, I'd make a judgment, and then I'll build it, and then I'll realize that I've just made the judgment, and then I will look at the judgment and say, "Is that merit? And is that useful? And is that going to take my goals further?" And that's my process now because I've been doing it for a while, and it's now become a habit. And my attitude towards myself has become uh, a lot less restrictive than it has been before. And so with the self-sabotaging and the annoying brain voice, you know, it's always going to be there. But now I actually see it as like the, um, the bad cop, good cop sort of scenario where it's keeping me humble and it's keeping me down to earth about what I'm really doing and really wanting to do being skeptical about a lot of things but at the same time 
allowing myself the ability to do my work but do it at a very very high level because I want things to be you know as best as as they can be with the tools and the time that I have the other um, things that I found were really helpful for me when it came to addressing this uh, these voices in my head that were telling me otherwise was to find mentors or just surround myself with people who are trying to achieve similar things. I found that by opening up to other people and telling them and sharing with them my struggles, that I'm opening up a a chance not only to connect with another human being, but also to hear their stories. Because once you talk to other people about what you're struggling with, it's very unlikely that you are the only one that has ever experienced that kind of um, a problem, I guess. Man, am I excited about this next segment, uh, which is a music segment. Um, I've decided to talk about Aeneas Mitchell. Um, simply because I haven't really been doing a lot of music the past couple of months as I've been setting up my business. But also, it's a very important uh, discussion for me because it's kind of how all this music, uh, writing and decision to perform sort of started for me. Back in 2010, I got a hold of Aeneas Mitchell's uh, Hades Town, which is an incredible folk opera record. Uh, highly recommended to everybody. <laughs> uh, it was the way the songs were arranged. Uh, it was the performances of all the different singers um, who were acting their roles. Uh, it was the stories that she had weaved from the Greek mythology. And it was just quite enlightening at the time. It was folk, but it wasn't quite the same folk that I had heard in like Fleet Foxes or Bon Iver. Um, and there was such a raw um, intensity in her songs. From a music perspective, it opened my eyes up to possibility of songwriting. Um, but her way of uh, songwriting is actually just storytelling, but picking the words that complement a song. Um, and I was so blown away by all the music and it was learning to play her songs that I sort of improved my guitar playing as well. So watching, you know, the uh, YouTube clips and looking at how other people are covering her songs. Um, I learnt techniques and I learnt how to sing in a way that felt true to me and that wasn't forced. Um, so yeah, so... He's Cosmic American, and I hope you enjoy it. 
Thank you for sticking by. Um, I have decided to pull the original recording of the song from this podcast simply because of copyright reasons again, and also I don't want to offend any artists. What this means going forward for myself is that I will be promoting a lot of my original material, but also I'll need to be writing a lot more original material as well, which is a, a win-win for me. Um, so I do hope you stick around and check out my uh, next episode that will be uh, completely original with original material. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm.